so when I was 17 years old, I was saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Glorious day, I remember that. But here's the problem that I faced. And even though I was, even though I was saved by faith, for some reason I didn't realize that I was supposed to live by faith. I realized, yes, salvation by faith. I didn't get the fact of being, of living by faith. And so instead of living by faith, I just tried to live by my own willpower. So, for example, when I was tempted, I wouldn't turn to Jesus Christ by faith and trust him to use his word to change my heart and fill me and free me. Instead of that, what I did was just tried myself to overcome temptations. I just tried hard. I'm not supposed to be jealous. I'm going to stop being jealous. Just grit my teeth. I'm not supposed to be greedy. I'm just going to stop being so greedy. It's not good. Christians aren't supposed to be greedy. So instead of living by faith, trusting Jesus to use his word to change my heart, I just tried to go by willpower, grit my teeth, try my hardest. And the tragic thing was, maybe you've experienced this, I discovered that my willpower wasn't strong enough to change my heart. It wasn't strong enough to overcome temptation. And so sin's power grew month after month in my life, and my love for Christ diminished month after month in my Christian life. It was a very difficult time for me. But through this difficult time, in God's mercy, he calls me to be a pastor. You can figure that, okay. Thank you for your mercy. And, and I went to seminary. This is all part of his plan for me. And I went to the seminary that my father taught at. And I took as many of his classes as I could. And what he taught was exactly what I needed to hear. And he showed from scripture after scripture that we're not just supposed to live by our own willpower, our own fleshly energy, but live by faith in Jesus Christ. That no matter how strong the temptation is, no matter how our hearts feel far from God, no matter how we're gripped by some lust or greed or pride, we can always look to Jesus and trust him. Just come as we are and trust him and say, help me and, and open up the word of God. And he will, by the power of the spirit, use the word to set us free, change our hearts. Oh, and I tell you, that teaching has transformed my life from many, many years ago. And that story is one of the reasons why we're doing a series here now on living by faith. Because many followers of Jesus, I have found, do not understand that we don't just begin the Christian life by faith, but we are to continue the Christian life by faith. Many Christians don't understand that we don't have the willpower to overcome sin on our own. We're never called to do that. But if we will look to Jesus and trust him and seek his face and cry out to him, he will use his word to empower us, free us, and change us. And so I'm, I'm so excited to share this with you. And I'm, I'm just, and I know many of you are already experiencing this, but oh Lord, that you just pour out understanding of living by faith upon Grace Church. That's what we're asking God to do. Now this morning, we're going to talk about how to overcome anger by faith. And the passage we're going to look at is Galatians, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. So go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Bring your own Bibles. You can open up circle words, write little notes in the margins, take this with you. Colossians chapter 
3, verses 4 through 8. Colossians was written around the year A.D. 58, 58 years after Christ was born. Paul wrote it to this new church plant in Colossae in order to alert them to some false teaching that was sneaking in and to encourage them to live by faith, to put their trust in Christ with all the commands that we Christians are given by the Lord to obey. So look at what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. Verse 4, he says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Now, did you notice that verse 8 talks about anger? Did you catch that? So let's read that verse again. We're going to focus on this verse. Now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So let's start with this first question. What does it mean to be angry? And notice in verse 8, Paul mentions two words, both anger and wrath. And in the Greek, those are very similar words. They're really overlapping. And the Greek words, anger, wrath, mean very much the same as the English words mean as well. And to, to be angry or wrathful means that you feel fury, you feel rage, you feel intense displeasure about someone or something, right? It's not rocket science, pretty simple. Anger, wrath, you feel intense rage or fury about someone or something. So I was trying to think a time when I was really angry. I mean, there's been times, but I thought of one, this is years ago, when we were planting our church in the U.S., in the San Francisco area, and there were only four members of the church, Jan and me and our kids, Anna and Brad. Okay, that was it. Okay, we just moved there, and here we go. And so I worked in real estate to pay the bills while the church was getting started, and God blessed the real estate work. And one day, a new agent asked if he could hold one of hold an open house at one of the homes I had for sale on the market. And I thought it would help him out. I said, sure, be glad to have you hold an open house. And so Saturday came, and he held an open house there. And that night, I got a phone call from one of my clients. He said that he stopped by this open house, met this new agent. He told this new agent that he was my client. And this agent proceeded to say very bad things about me. I mean, just like Steve Fuller is really not a very good agent. I don't know if you know that or not. He's not going to help you out very much. And so my client wanted to call me to warn me that this new agent is trying to steal your clients. Well, wrath and anger, fury and rage, volcanic, okay? I mean, here I was helping this new agent, and he's stabbing me in the back. It was, a, it was really a terrible thing. And so, but see, you can all think about how often we feel angry. I mean, sometimes we feel angry a lot, sometimes a little bit, right? Okay, Paul says, put it all aside, big, little, so we all understand what 
what anger is, what it's like to feel wrath. That's what Paul's talking about here. Now, let me make a couple of distinctions, though. There is something called righteous indignation, right? Paul's not saying put that aside. Righteous indignation, righteous anger or wrath is where you are angry because God's glory has been dishonored, right? Or someone has been hurt, or both. And so if that's what's going on, don't put that aside, okay? But to be honest, that really wasn't the large part of my anger with this real estate agent. I mean, maybe it was a little, because it was unjust, but most of it was just, I was mad because I was hurt, right? He did something against me. But Paul's not telling us to put aside righteous indignation. Also, Paul is not telling us just be silent about when people do wrong things to you. There is a time to go to that person, or maybe authorities, all right? God will give you wisdom. There's a time to go to that person and, and explain what they've done. Now, just a little side note here. Don't make the mistake that I've made in the past where I'm going to this person who's done something wrong, and, I'm, and I, I want to tell them what they've done because I want them to feel bad, because if they feel bad, I'll feel better. Anybody ever tried that? It's never, ever worked for me, because they never feel bad enough. And I, one time, I, I stayed a little bit longer to see if I could make them feel a little bit... Don't try this at home, okay? Don't, don't, don't do that. So Paul is not saying, don't ever talk to people who harm you. We're not just doormats here, but listen. First, do what we're going to look at in this passage. Get free from the anger. So it really is because you love them that you want to point out. They may have a blind spot here. It's because you love them. You're not trying to get back at them. You're not wanting them to feel bad. You just want to help them, okay? So Paul is not saying put aside righteous indignation. He's not saying don't ever talk to people who have done wrong to you. What he's saying is put aside wrath and anger, that rage and that fury, that intense displeasure against something or someone who's harmed you in some way. That's what Paul is saying to put aside. Okay, now let's just, that might shock you to think, really? I mean, anger, I'm just human, right? I mean, humans get angry. I mean, how can you say don't get angry? Do you see what they did? So we can puzzle that Paul would say, put aside anger. So let's dig a little bit deeper and ask the question, so what does God want us to do with our anger? We've already seen in verse 8, Paul says, put it aside. Let me show you some other passages, though. Take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 22 in the Sermon on the Mount. I just want to give you some more ammunition here so that when you're in the thick of being angry, you can remember, God really wants me not to be angry now. So look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 22. Jesus says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, underline the word everyone in your Bible, okay? Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus uses very strong warnings here so that we'll feel the weightiness of how serious anger is. Do you feel it from this passage? Very serious. Jesus couldn't have made it more serious. Also, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, back to Paul, different letter. Paul says, Let all bitterness 
and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So Grace Church, let's, let's just let this sink into our hearts. Whenever we are angry, God is calling us to put it away. God does not want us to say, well, I'm just human. Anger is a normal human emotional response. God wants us to say, we should put that away. God does not want us to say, well, look at what they did. If you understood what they did, you'd see why I was so angry. God wants us to put it away. So Grace Church, are we, are we hearing that? Are we feeling that? And how much of it? All of it. All of it. Put it all away. Now, how do we do that? How do you stop being angry? How do you extinguish a volcano that's going to erupt? Right? I mean, if you just try to stop being angry, the problem is anger is an emotion. It's a feeling. And you can't just turn feelings on and off by a decision of the will. You ever tried that? You just can't do it. I'm going to stop being angry. This just doesn't work, okay? And see, that's why purely psychological approaches are just powerless before anger. I mean, I googled the question, how to stop being angry. Here's the top results I got, okay? This is from WikiHow, which often has really helpful things to say, but not this time. Seven steps. Number one, take a break as soon as you recognize that you're angry. That's not bad. Okay. Number two, let yourself feel angry. Number three, breathe deeply. Number four, visualize a happy place. <laughs> Practice positive self-talk. Ask for the support of someone you trust. Try to see some humor in what angered you. Okay, I don't, I don't want to make fun of this. I mean, listen, lost people, this is the best they've got. We're going to see in a moment here that there is a beautiful answer to our anger, and it's to the glory of Jesus Christ. This is where we would all be apart from him, right? And have you tried these? I mean, these can temporarily distract you from your anger. Think about your happy place for a while. That's nice. But, you know, then the volcano does not go away. So it can temporarily distract you from your anger. It can temporarily diminish your anger. Let's take a deep breath, yes. Okay, but it doesn't take it away. So how do we overcome our anger? The good news is that in Colossians chapter 3, Paul tells us how. This is such an encouraging passage. How can we put away our anger? Now, here's the background for how I discovered this passage. This is just a few months ago. I was talking to someone who uh, had, was very angry about something that had happened at work to them, and rightly so, except they should... They, they did put it away, but you get what I'm saying. Something terribly unjust had happened at work, and they were furious about it. But they knew that anger was wrong, and so we were talking and praying. And, and I realized in the course of this conversation that I really wasn't able to give them much help in terms of how to overcome anger, to, to be honest. I just wasn't able to be much help. So I went home after that. I mean, we prayed. That was good, I'm sure. But I went home, and I sat down at my desk in my study and opened up my Bible and said, okay, if... if 
God can free us from anger, then, Father, show me where in the book you tell us how that happens. And I came to this passage, Colossians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. Now, notice that this passage breaks into two parts. This is so important to see. Verse 4 tells us something about Christ. And then verses 5 through 8 give us commands to obey. Did you notice that? Verse 4 is truths about Christ. Verse 5 through 8, commands to obey. And underline that word, therefore, at the beginning of verse 5. Because what that word, therefore, shows is that the way we obey the commands of verses 5 through 8 is by seeing the truth of who Christ is in verse 4, believing the truth of who Christ is in verse 4, and feeling the truth of who Christ is in verse 4. Let me say it again. Verse 4 has truth about Christ. Verses 5 through 8 is commands that we're supposed to obey. And notice that word, therefore, at the beginning of verse 5, that shows that the way we obey the commands of verses 5 through 8 is by seeing, believing, feeling the truth about Christ that's taught in verse 4. Let's read through the passage so you can see this. Verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, because of verse 4, therefore put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. So because of who Christ is, because Christ is our life, when we see that he's our life, when we believe that he's our life, when we feel, experience that he's our life, we'll be able to put away anger. Now think about this. Here's what struck me that afternoon as I was trying to figure out how to help people with anger and help me with anger. If what frees us from anger is seeing and feeling the truth of who Christ is, if that's what frees us from anger, then why do we get angry? Because we're not seeing and feeling who Christ is. Do you see that? If the way we're freed from anger is by seeing that Christ is our life now and forever, then what the reason I got angry in the first place is because I wasn't seeing that Christ is my life now and forever. And because I wasn't seeing that Christ is my life, I started trusting something else to be my life, and somebody took that something else away from me which made me angry. See how that works? Let me say it one more time. The reason we get angry every time we're angry, it's because I've stopped seeing that Christ is my life. I've started trusting something else as my life, and that's been taken away from me, leaving me empty. And I get angry as a result. Now, let me give you an illustration. Back to our bread illustration, okay? Hope you're getting tired of this. This is so important. John 6.35 is our theme verse for this series where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Now, what that verse, I mean, that verse has lots of implications. One implication is that every human being has heart hungers and thirsts. You've got to understand that to understand living by faith. We all have hungers and thirsts for life. 
for joy, for excitement, for peace, for meaning, for hope, for security. We all hunger and thirst for these things. And the good news is that Jesus Christ is, is the bread of life. So this is the part I just love to do. So here's all the bread that we have in Jesus Christ, okay? We put it in the freezer this last week. That's why it, it still smells pretty good though, okay? Just so you know. I'm not sure we'll, it'll last too much longer. We'll have to, anyway, so, okay, do we have enough yet? Not quite. Okay, so, so here we are. We're hungry. Heart hungers, heart thirsts, joy, peace, and Jesus Christ is the bread of life. All the bread of life we would ever want is in him. Forgiveness of sins is in him. Joy unspeakable and full of glory, Psalm 1611, is in him. He promises that every trial we ever face, he in his love and wisdom will use to bring us even more joy in him. He promises to provide for us, to guide us, to comfort us. He promises to strengthen us, to satisfy us. He promises to raise us from the dead to be with him forever. Listen, all the bread you ever need is in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? Now, if that's true, mm, why would we ever get angry about anything? Why? Here's why. Here's how it works. Your sin starts to blind you to all that you have in Jesus. So you, you stop seeing Jesus as the bread of life. Stop feeding on him. Stop fellowshipping with him. And, and when you stop eating, what happens? You get hungry, okay? You get hungry. Now, let's say that your boss tomorrow morning gives you a 1,000 Durham bonus. Nothing wrong with a 1,000 Durham bonus? Not, not at all. Let's let this, this little piece of bread represent your thousand Durham bonus, okay? And you're hungry, and you're blind to Jesus as the bread of life, and so all of a sudden you think, oh, a thousand Durham bonus. I could, I could take my wife to like a really nice hotel, okay? I, I could go to Ferrari. Can you go to Ferrari World for a thousand Durham? Okay, I could, two of us? Okay, take my wife to Ferrari World. Maybe I'd like that more than she would, but... We'll see, okay? Uh, maybe we could buy a new television set. Okay, start thinking of all the possibilities with the thousand Durham. And, and because your sin is blinding you to Jesus as the bread of life, and because you're hungry, okay, there's nothing wrong with getting a thousand Durham bonus, but what would be wrong is if you started depending on it, trusting it to satisfy your heart hungers, right? So you're relying on this to satisfy your heart hungers? Do you feel that? Okay. Then, now if you're relying on this, this is going to be, make me so full, it's going to, I'm going to feed on this, this is going to be so wonderful, then what happens? Luke, would you come and steal that from me, please? Just put it down here so I can use it later. Okay. Ah! Okay, so now I'm back to being hungry again. No hotel, nice hotel for my wife and me. No Ferrari world. No new television. And what happens when your heart is empty and starts to feel pain? Right? You start to get angry? Is this making any sense at all? I'm not, okay, just nod, give me a little encouragement here, okay? 
So this, this is why you get angry. Every time you're angry, it's because your sin has blinded you to who Jesus Christ is. You're trusting something else to be your bread of life. You're trusting something else to satisfy you, which has been taken away, leaving you, ah! Right? Larray's getting it. Good, okay, Larray, I'm so glad. All right. This is key. That's why we get hungry. That's why we get angry. So how do we get over our anger? Okay, well, listen to what Jesus said in John 6, 35. And it's the same thing Paul says in Colossians chapter 3. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Okay, that's right. That's because of this right here, all right? Whoever believes in me will never thirst. And then what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, Christ is the bread of life, life, John 6, 35, life, Colossians 3, verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Christ is your life. There. Now, what does it mean if, if we say, if somebody were to say to you, opera is my life, or reading is my life, what are they saying? They're saying that opera or reading, it's what makes life worth living, right? It's what, they, it's what satisfies them. It's what thrills them. It's what moves them. It's, it's what they're seeking for their heart hungers, right? So when Paul says Christ is your life, He's saying that Jesus Christ is our all-satisfying bread. Knowing Jesus Christ, fellowshipping with Jesus Christ, as, our, as the, the Son of God, God became man, the Word became flesh, John chapter 1, verse 14, dwelt among us, we beheld His glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, that you can know Jesus Christ, that you can fellowship with him and behold him in his power. You can open up the scriptures and worship Jesus Christ in his love, in his mercy, like we sang about this morning. You can behold his majesty and royalty and glory. You can bow before his sovereignty. You can love him as your king, that you can fellowship with Jesus Christ. We, we see that he's our life, and we press in, and we feel and experience that he's our life. And when that happens, our hearts are, are filled to overflowing. That's what Paul's talking about here. Christ is our life. And not only is he our life, end of verse 4, Paul says that Christ will appear at the end of history. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory, which means that death does not stop what Christ will do you will be raised from the dead. You will experience him as your life in ever-increasing ways forever, eternity. So Christ is our all-satisfying life now and forever. Now, how does that overcome our anger? Let's go back to the thousand durhams that's now gone, okay? All right. What if, while you're angry, fury, rage, thousand durhams. He stole it. It's just wrong. I can't believe he did that. What if right while you're feeling that anger, you get a telegram from a lawyer you've never heard of who tells you about an uncle you didn't know you had who unexpectedly died and left you one billion durham? 
One billion Durham. I have a billion Durham. Now, honestly, what would happen to your anger about having a thousand Durhams stolen? What anger? Right? A thousand, what? what? Oh, oh yeah. Don't worry about it, okay? We're friends again. Right? Now, did your feelings change? Completely. Instantly. Powerfully. Do you see that? It wasn't your willpower trying to not be angry. It was that you saw, I've got a billion Durham, and your heart was changed. Now listen. As much greater as a billion Durham is than a thousand Durham is Christ than a billion Durham. Now, now, let me just ask you this. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced what the psalmist says in Psalm 73? Whom have I in heaven but you, and besides you I desire nothing on earth. I want to tell you, if you're trusting Christ, that's your heritage. That's what you can know. Not constantly. I do not experience that constantly by any stretch of the imagination. To my fault, but I don't. In heaven we will, constantly. But I've had tastes. And you can have tastes. And so, I just want to plead with you. Like This is like what we talked about last week. Take time to wait on the Lord. To press in with the word open in front of you. And to pray. And to meditate on the word of God. And to see who Jesus Christ is. Because... As you press in, you will have times where you see and you, you taste and you're filled and you're satisfied and your heart's changed. And that's how we overcome our anger. So if you've never experienced that, if you've never had times where you were so filled with beholding Jesus Christ and worshiping Jesus Christ as he's revealed in the word, if you've never had times like that, you will the Bible promises, Jesus promises you will. Isn't that what the promise of John 6, 35 is? I'm the bread of life, Jesus says. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Have you experienced that? You can. He's promised. Or John 7, 37. If anyone is thirsty, Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. John 7, 37 and 38. That's yours. And see, you, you can understand now, can't you, how that sets us free from anger and every other temptation we, we face. That's how it works. A pastor back in the 1700s talked about the expulsive power of a new affection. Anybody heard of that before? Thomas Chalmers was the pastor. And he's so right. When you have a wrong affection, a wrong feeling in your heart, like anger, you want to get back at Luke for stealing the bread from you, okay? What you need is the expulsive power of a new affection. You need a new heart, a new feeling, a new desire coming in, which will expulse, which will free you from the old one. That's what the billion Durham telegram was. That's what the bread of life is. When we see and feel all that we have in Christ, we, our heart hungers are filled and satisfied, so we let go the angers. Now, again, that does not mean we let go of righteous indignation. It does not mean we never talk about wrongs that have been done. 
but our hearts are changed. So we're not feeling fury and rage at people anymore for what they've done to us. So that's how to put away anger. It's by seeing and feeling the truth in God's word of who Jesus Christ is. That's how we do it. Does that make sense? Now, do you see how different this is from thinking, okay, I know I'm not supposed to be angry. You know, God says that. I, I, I agree with God. I'm a Christian. So I'm just going to try really hard here not to be angry at what this person did. Can you see how different that is? When you set your heart upon Christ, you say, help me. Use your word to show me who you are afresh. Satisfy me afresh in, in the truth, in the gospel, in, in the cross, in your resurrection, in your truth. Satisfy me afresh in who you are. And he will, and your heart will change. It, it takes effort. Press in, pray, trust, pray some more, press in some more. It takes effort. But it's not us trying to change our hearts ourselves. We just press in and we say, show me your glory. Show me your beauty. Show me the life I have in you. Pour out your spirit upon me through the word, and he will do that. That's how we overcome anger. Now, one last question. How can we see and feel that Christ is our life? How do we do that? So here's the problem. Our sin is blinding you. Notice how we've done this every Friday on this series so far. We've had this problem of sin blinding us to all that we have in Christ. That is always our problem. That's the root of everything, okay? So how do we see and feel if my sin is blinding me? And we all know that what that's like. You're just feeling nothing towards Christ, right? You're just like, like what's on TV? You're just like blah towards Jesus? We all battle with that, right? Can we, can we be real about that? We all struggle with that. So what's going on when that's happening? My sin is blinding me to who Jesus Christ is. So what do we do? Let me give you four steps. First, understand what your anger shows about you. Okay? It shows that you're not trusting Christ. It shows that your sin has blinded you to who Jesus is. You're not seeing Christ. You're not feeling the reality of Christ. You're not trusting Christ at that moment. That's just the reality of it. Okay, you're not trusting Christ. Sin has blinded you, and you're trusting something else to give you life, which has been taken away from you, which is why you're angry. So that's what anger shows. Second, turn to Jesus and confess your, your unbelief. Now, don't make excuses. Just confess it. Forgive me. My, my sin has blinded me, so I'm not seeing you anymore. I've been trusting the thought of this promotion to give me life. Nothing wrong about getting a promotion, right? But if you rely on that for your life, that's wrong. Okay? Or I've been, I've been trusting that I have a free night tonight. I just want to go home and just put my feet up, have a free night. And, you know, my husband ran out of gas again. I can't believe it. And I've got to go and pick him up now. And Okay, and so you get angry about this. So you're trusting a free night. You're relying on a free night to give you the joy you're looking at. Right? Does that make sense? Okay, or you come home, you're thinking about macaroni and cheese. Macaroni and cheese, Tuesday night, that's our macaroni and cheese night. You know, you walk in and, and that, that is not true, Jan says, this is true. I'm just making this all up. I just make these things up, okay? Say, so split pea soup. I thought it was mac and cheese night. And you were, can you, can you rely on mac and cheese for your life? Food is big, right? 
okay? So money, or like maybe, maybe somebody new has come into, into the church, or you know, somebody new, a new friend, and you're thinking, I, I kinda, I'd like a new friend, and this person could become a great friend, and, and that person becomes somebody else's friend more, and, and you can become angry about that. See, all the different things that we can look to for our life, okay? It's all because we've become blind to Jesus. Nothing wrong with mac and cheese, split pea, helping your husband get the car filled up, having a new friend, promotions. None of those things are wrong unless in our blindness to Jesus, we start to rely on them for our life. That's wrong. And then if one of those gets taken away, we get angry. And it shows what's been going on in our hearts. So turn to Jesus and confess your unbelief. Just confess it to him as sin. Father, forgive me. Look at my unbelief. Look at my sin. I'm, I'm blind to you and your holy son right now. Forgive me through the cross. And he will. He'll completely forgive you. Third, ask for his power to open your eyes. You can't open your own eyes. You can't change your own heart. But Jesus can do both. He will open your eyes, your spiritual eyes. He will change your hearts. He will. So ask him to. Pray, please, change my heart. You've promised to do it. I'm here. I'm waiting on you. I can't do it, but I want it to happen. Please open my eyes. Free me from sin's blinding power. Help me. That's the third step. And then fourth, pray over helpful scriptures. I think I've mentioned this before, but John Piper says that sin is like cataracts that can grow up over your eyes and cloud your vision. Sin's just like that. We just can't see very clearly anymore, okay? But see, the, the scriptures is the sword of the spirit or the scalpel of the spirit, maybe, which can cut away the cataracts of sin so you can see. Oh, I've experienced this so many times. You, just, you open up the scriptures, your heart's just like blind and you're praying and, and you start to see. It's like you all of a sudden, ah, it's back. There it is, right? You, you can't make that happen, but you can come open up the scriptures and pray. So the scripture I would encourage you to use when you're dealing with anger, is Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed or appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's the verse Paul uses to overcome all these sins, so let's use it for anger, which is one of the sins he mentions in that list in verse 8. So pray over that verse. Christ is your life. Jesus Christ, you are my life. Let me just open up the word and see who you are. You've always been from eternity past fully God in the fellowship of the Trinity, full of joy, delighting in your perfections. Then you, you, the word became flesh. You humbled yourself to become a man in mercy to come and save us. And you were willing to go to the cross to die. And you see his love and you see his sovereignty and you see his authority and you see his mercy and his gentleness with children and his power to heal the sick. And you see who Jesus is. And then he rose from the dead after paying for our sins. And as you read the truth of who he is prayerfully, the cataracts will be cut away. You'll see, you'll feel, you'll feed, you'll taste. Your heart will be satisfied. And the anger will, I've got a billion Durham in Jesus. The anger's gone. And that didn't happen by your willpower. It didn't happen by you trying not to be angry. It happened by you falling on your face before Jesus Christ saying, help me. I trust you to use your word to change my heart. And I promise you, church, every time you trust the living Jesus to change your heart through his word, 
with his word. He will. Every time. Every time. Now, let this just ring in your ears because I know my problem is my heart feels so hard. I'm so angry. I'm so discouraged. I'm so bitter. It's like nothing's going to change this heart. It's like, what's on TV? What, right? What's on Facebook? Right? No, no, no. Every time you come before the Lord Jesus and say, help me. Open my eyes. Use your word to cut away the sin so I can see and worship every time he will. He will. He will. And it won't be because of your willpower. It'll be because you trusted Christ and because Christ is faithful. That's how to overcome anger by faith. Let's stand together. I want to pray this over us. Could we get some guys taking this table off so the worship team can come up? Thank you. Thanks, guys. Let's pray. Father, we all deal with anger, everyone in this room. And I just pray for me, I pray for each of us, that we would let your word shape how we see and respond to anger. We don't want to be conformed to the world. We want to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. We want to put away anger when it comes. And we praise you that because of Jesus Christ being our, our life, we can. So I pray that you would touch our hearts right now, Lord, those right now who are angry. And Lord, I'm sure there's people in this room who've been grievously hurt by others. And we don't want to make light of that at all. But Lord Jesus, you are so glorious. Even those angers can be freed, released, washed away by you being our life. So Lord, come and touch hearts right now, I pray. I pray that you'd give us a, a rhythm in our lives that whenever we're angry, we would seek your face in the word, ask for your help, and press in until once again we see and feel you as our life. And Lord, we want to look to you now and worship you and draw near to you as our life with this song. So come and meet us as we worship. <laughs>